Dennis Stewart, today, spices are the topic. Always nice to have something to spice up a Friday, <laughs> isn't it? As part of our diet, but also as potential medicine. But um, can you define a spice and which ones are you going to talk about? In my opinion and in my view, a spice is, well, obviously it's a herb. It belongs to the botanical world. But the thing that separates it from other classifications of plants is that a spice usually contains a pungent uh, substance that gives flavour to food or can, as a, as a result of that pungency, have a therapeutic effect in the body. We're going to be looking at things like um, turmeric, we're going to be looking at um, cayenne, we're going to be looking at ginger and um, fenugreek. Excellent. Have a look at. We are definitely into our spices. So we which, are one are we, which one are we going to well, look at well, first? What I'd like to do is discuss fenugreek. Fenugreek. Um, and, and the reason I want to do that is that it's probably not that well known amongst uh, Australians, particularly we have uh, an Anglo derivation. Uh, but look, it's, it's a fascinating, remarkable herb, which is obviously used greatly by uh, immigrants to this country that uh, come from the Middle East, where it's a very, very popular herb and food. That's the thing to keep in mind. Uh, here is a spicy, uh, pungent substance, uh, the, the seeds of the fenugreek plant. They're the part that is used nutritionally, where they can be turned into almost a porridge-type food, which many uh, Middle Eastern people eat on a daily basis. Um, and it also, of course, has a remarkable ability to be used uh, medicinally. So, um, it, it, in fact, in my understanding of um, Islamic culture is that it is one of the most important herbs um, for that culture. Now, I know this because uh, in my library I have a, a book that was given to me by uh, a lovely a uh, Muslim gentleman who studied with me in Melbourne. He was a gastroenterologist. And at the end of the course, he took me out for dinner one night and gave me uh, a book. It is called Medicines of the Prophet. And I uh, value that book and I read it because it gives you an insight to the way in which uh, herbs that we know of but not really know a lot about play a very prominent part in that culture and society. And there is one section in that book where I think it's the Prophet himself said that uh, fenugreek was, and I don't hold me exactly to these words, was one of the greatest gifts that Allah could give to mankind. So it's held in great esteem in Middle Eastern culture, uh, and one can particularly understand why. Let me give you a few uh, bits of information on how this remarkable herb uh, can be used. Certainly it can be used as a food almost equivalent to a porridge. It's rich, rich in nutrients, and uh, as such is called a, a, a nutrient-based uh, herb or food or spice. It is pungent, it is spicy, and a lot of uh, Middle Eastern people would eat it on a daily basis as part of their, their diet. Now, uh, the thing about that is, uh, knowingly or unknowingly, when we eat uh, fenugreek, we're eating a food that contains some very well-defined chemical constituents that have well-defined hormonal characteristics. And some of the hormonal characteristics in fenugreek explain why it is used in protocols uh, in the Middle East, herbally-based protocols, for improving fertility. 
Now, there's nothing unusual about this because some of the herbs we use in Western herbalism uh, contain similar constituents. In fenugreek, and I won't go on for too long on this because listeners will get bored, but one of the constituents in fenugreek is a substance called diosgenin. Now, diosgenin is a precursor to many hormonal substances, particularly uh, phytoestrogens. And this is another reason why it is used in some cultures, because it is, if you like, has, has a, an added estrogen benefit for the woman. And uh, in, in the Middle East, that's considered to be a very valuable thing to do. The result can be quite, quite handsome. So it's it, uh, a fertility-inducing remedy and uh, a nutritional remedy. The other thing about it is, and this is possibly where uh, the spice, if we call it that, this pungent herb is used more frequently in, in herbal medicine uh, as we understand it, is that as an encapsulated product, it uh, has a reputation for clearing a lot of what we used to call catarrhal uh, conditions of the upper respiratory tract. So people that are chronically catarrhal, um, old term basically meaning producing heaps of mucus, a lot of which runs down the back of the throat and periodically becomes infected, fenugreek has a reputation, a great reputation, not only in the literature but in professional practice as a safe uh, supplement, a spicy supplement in an encapsulated form. Fortunately, you wouldn't, you wouldn't taste it. And worse, when persevered with, it can remarkably uh, see a lot of those catarrhal conditions take up. And, of course, the other thing about it, and um, this is well known in, with some manufacturing companies around the world, fenugreek has a reputation for being able to reduce both, chole- both cholesterol levels and blood sugar levels. Uh, and so the taking of it as a food on a daily basis can be seen to be useful in resisting those two wretched conditions that afflict our society. So I'm a bit of a fan of fenugreek. Um, it may not be the ideal herb for a male to take, but it has some significant potential for ladies. So I think that's great. On that note, we will look forward to discussing our next spice in just a moment. Why don't we move on to the next spice on the list for today, and that is ginger. I'd love to do that, but while you were reading that, I was thinking that uh, listeners probably aren't aware of the fact that um, uh, Middle Eastern people, Islamic culture in particular, have a herbal tradition. Uh, It's known as the Dib system, which goes back, interestingly, to the time of the Greeks. It's still practised today, and... um, it has a lot of these herbs like fenugreek in it and it might interest some of our listeners to know that it's largely as a result of the work of, uh, of the early Islamic culture that a lot of our uh, medicinal ideas have been saved and a lot of the literature pertaining to medicine has been saved. A lot of listeners probably don't realise that... Um, the Greek system of, of medicine, obviously based on herbs, was the, was practised for, for hundreds, if not thousands of years. But uh, down the track, the medieval church decided that uh, all the literature should be burnt and, uh, in, in effect, in a, destroyed uh, a whole system of medicine. It was the Islamic scholars, and one in particular, I wish uh, medical students uh, were taught this today, one in particular called Avicenna, 
who was known to this day as the Prince of Physicians, he retrieved a lot of the uh, remaining Greek literature on herbal medicine uh, based on what are called the four humours and updated it and converted it into a system known as the Dib system of medicine practised today uh, by exponents of, of Islamic culture and society and we owe a lot to it uh, and the, the herb fenugreek would be one of many herbs used in the Dib system uh, and a lot of the information pertaining to it would have been retrieved and documented by geniuses like Avicenna. Aren't we we'll lucky? T- mm. We'll talk about ginger because listeners probably know that ginger is um, one of my favourite herbs. In fact, um, I, <laughs> think, uh, I think I think it was only last week or the week before in, in talking about um, preparing ourselves for winter that I gave my little annual spiel on using herbs that are referred to as warming herbs. Now... Ginger is a lovely herb, particularly for people that have difficulty in handling a lot of hot spices. It does have a pungent warmth about it, but I think most listeners would agree that uh, ginger can be tolerated and is very flavoursome and can uh, make many nice dishes. Um, Occasionally we'll get a Chinese meal, I think they call it lemon chicken, which is pretty Aussie, but it's it's based on a, a lemon flavour. Um, and, and ginger is, is, is the basis of the spice in it. But the thing that intrigues me about ginger is not so much its potential to give wonderful flavour uh, to foods, Asian foods in particular, but it is remarkably therapeutic. Uh, this is what, what people don't realise, that some of these simple things that we use and eat and try on a daily basis they have profound therapeutic consequences. If we, if we look at ginger, for instance, um, ginger can be used for, number one, promoting an improved circulation. And I'll talk about more about that later when we look at, look at capsicum. But you find many people, particularly this time of the year, Jane, will complain about um, cold extremities, uh, cold hands, uh, fingers that get cold, um, even a Raynaud's patient, that is one who has a, a medical condition of impaired circulation. Only yesterday um, I saw a follow-up visit from a lady who's doing particularly well on ginger capsules. So it's, it's unknown and unrecognised largely as a simple and safe uh, medicinal substance in an encapsulated form, if you want to use it that way, which is useful for enhancing circulation. Now, that is very, very significant. Uh, a lot of elderly people suffer uh, circulatory problems which would then compromise their health significantly, particularly if it's to do with the peripheries and the legs. Mm. The other thing is, uh, and this also is overlooked, this also is overlooked, that, that this particular substance is a powerful anti-nauseant. And what we mean by that is that it resists the tendency to vomit. And this is largely unknown because you still get a lot of ladies that in the pregnant state will experience a lot of morning sickness and uh, there's a reluctance to prescribe heavy medication. Uh, there's been some tragic instances in the past of prescribing for this. But ginger has a documented reputation as an anti-nauseant agent. So there are two useful things Ah, but I mentioned last week, I think it was, 
that with a lot of these herbs and particularly spices that affect the circulation, in our tradition we have found that certain organs of the body seem to be targeted more effectively by one or more of these spices than other of the spices. And I said recently, and I've said it over the years, uh, ginger has been documented in our literature. Uh, the English herbalist, probably uh, the best well-known academic herbalist in the world, Simon Mills, in his book, um, Dictionary of Modern Herbalism, remarkable book, talks about it having an affinity for the lung. Now, this is important because in traditional medicine, uh, an organ that is cold, in inverted commas, is an organ that is predisposed to disease, mucus, phlegm, infection. And so here we have a herb, ginger, which tunnels or promotes improved circulation to the lungs. And that basically means an influx of white blood cells, better drainage of the lungs, and in a sense, a very prophylactic device, a wonderful food, a wonderful supplement, a wonderful spice to use for that particular condition. So uh, a simple ginger, you wouldn't credit it, would you? Now, it is a warming spice, mm, as correct. you say, but there are diff- there seem to be different uh, strengths, I suppose, of uh, flavour to go with ginger. Yeah, well, taking it, uh, taking it in an encapsulated form is a mm. bit of a saving factor <laughs> because uh, the taste of some of the spices, what I mean, uh, between you and I, I love spices and I can uh, tolerate them like no one else can. I, can. I would challenge anyone to sit down uh, and compete with me <laughs> in, the, in the eating of some of these crude spices. I would come out a winner. So I think if you take it medicinally, the saving effect is that uh, you usually get the encapsulated form, which tends to bypass differing potencies that are found in the crude material. So good try, Jane, but <laughs> we got found it. I quite like the stronger ginger oh, look, as well, I, I think especially going, in winter. I think if you're going to use some of these um, foods or spices, because they are foods, um, you, you should learn to adapt to their pungency and accelerate your ability to be able to tolerate the increased pungency of some of them. <laughs> Excellent. Paul has rung in from Wanji. And, Paul, your question is about your immune system. Yeah, good afternoon, everybody. Hello, hey, Paul. Hello. Yeah, just sort of uh, given that our winter is now um, kind of coming towards us yes. um, eventually. Yes. <laughs> yes. You wouldn't think it looking at today. If you're yeah, it's beautiful, day, isn't it? Wanji, lovely, Wanji. lovely. Uh, but I'm just wondering, what would Dennis Stewart have in his... His uh, kit to um, to ward off all the uh, the challenges that we've had over the uh, winter with colds and flus and yeah. and all sorts of things. Well, like, what can we do with our immune system? What would we have in our kit bag? Paul, this is something that I um, do nearly every year, and already this year I've mentioned it on a couple of occasions the way in which I believe uh, we can improve our resistance uh, to various wintertime ailments. Yeah. Uh, I said a couple of weeks ago. But one of the most important things, of course, was to look at lifestyle factors. It's no use pumping ourselves up on supplements, vitamins, minerals and herbs if foundational things are not being looked at. And I I emphasised a couple of weeks ago, again particularly for the elderly, that foundational to a good immunology is is a good diet which incorporates good high-quality protein. And one one of the things that I worry about today is the way in which perhaps um, there's been an underemphasis on the importance 
of good quality protein as mandatory to maintain all the immunological chemistry that our body needs. I mentioned that as one principle. I also said in, in, in boosting our health, our resistance, we need to look at uh, lifestyle factors. For instance, uh, the amount of uh, sugar that might be in our diet, I see that as a detrimental thing, particularly the addiction we have to, to sugar in our society today. I see obesity as a problem also that needs to be addressed because immunology uh, can be compromised, in my opinion, by obesity and, of course, things like smoking, etc., etc., alcohol abuse, they also need to be addressed if we're right. going to see our immunity function uh, uninhibitably. But having right. said that, having said that, I nevertheless, as you would expect me, believe very, very strongly in the way in which nature's remedies uh, can help, yes. can help uh, boost our immunity and help us resist wintertime ailments. And I still fall back on, on, on some of the herbs that I have mentioned and have prescribed and have recommended and indeed developed over my 40 years of practice. Don't ever overlook the significance of the North American herb, Echinacea. Now, I know a lot about Echinacea, and it might interest listeners to know that um, a previous professor of physics uh, from this university, Professor Clifton Elliott, um, he and I uh, were the first to grow commercially, as far as I'm aware, Echinacea, Purpurea on his property at Peach Orchard Road, Arimba. He was a remarkable man, and he and I almost developed a father and son relationship. Uh, subsequent to his academic career here uh, coming to an end, he uh, requested that he come and study with me, and we did. But more than that, we took on the task of growing this North American herb, wow. which uh, is predominant for its immunological support. Unfor unfortunately, unfortunately, with the assertion of a lot of Asian remedies, Echinacea has been somewhat pushed into the background. But I, I would uh, be one of the most vigorous users of Echinacea in my immune system protocols. And right. I would say to listeners out there, if you are wanting to do something to give you an edge, uh, go to your health food store, pharmacy, and get hold of a good quality Echinacea capsule, liquid tablet and take yep. it in the recommended dose mm -hmm. as one way of improving your potential to right. resist wintertime ailments. That's, right. that's coming from the North American tradition. Now, uh, in as much that that was a herb that I had a lot to do in my earlier years, um, the combination that you frequently hear me talk about on this radio program, an Asian formula known as Astragalus 8, it, in my opinion, it, in my opinion, is as significant as Echinacea. It, can, it is a formula uh, developed uh, yeah. based on eight uh, Asian remedies, the leading one being Astragalus. The yeah. formula is known around the world as Astragalus 8 or Astragalus 8 herb combination. Uh, but essentially, the formula uh, in the Western world was developed by two American uh, Chinese Americans who uh, came to the conclusion that these eight herbs were useful for addressing the AIDS virus, believe it or not, at oh, that time. Okay. So I, I gave the first lecture on Astragalus 8 at Melbourne University, oh, probably now 20, 25 years ago, and uh, the interest in it became phenomenal. And um, 
it has proven itself uh, remarkable. I mean, right. remarkable. Okay. Echinacea is, is, is magnificent, but right. I have seen things uh, controlled, uh, improved, that I would think that I would never have been able to achieve uh, right. as a result of using um, this particular substance. Give you an example. Uh, I, um, uh, I remember, probably over 10 years ago, seeing a, a gentleman, a, a well-known gentleman, who was never free of herpes simplex. His mouth was nothing more than a mass of blisters which never terminated uh, because of that wretched condition. And uh, he had exhausted everything possible. Nothing was getting anywhere. He came in basically in desperation. We had a yarn and I got on well with him. He said, look, he said, if you can beat this for me, he said, uh, I'll give you the best bottle of, of Hunter Red that you'll get anywhere. And I said, well, that's very encouraging. I said, I said let's see how you go over the next year. Well, I got my bottle of, of, of Hunter Red. Now, what am I saying? It's got nothing to do with anything else than, other than this substance. Right. Uh, it was a great okay. agent. So there, there are two yeah. herbs, if you like, that's, that's the, the echinacea that's... and the Astragalus 8 formulation. Yeah. You would have no trouble getting it from your, your health food right. store or pharmacy. Okay, well, I'm glad you mentioned echinacea because I'm taking that with uh, vitamin A, C, E, yeah. garlic, and zinc. Well, look, you must have been listening to me because every every year Only for uh, forty years. Okay, every year I will say, regardless of the cynicism that exists in some circles about vitamin C, I'm a, I'm still a believer in the work of Linus Pauling, and yeah. and believe that vitamin C warrants the respect that he developed for it as being a significant uh, vitamin uh, agent to support uh, the immune system, particularly when it's a bit compromised. Right. And, and I'm glad that you talk about vitamin A because vitamin A and D uh, in the old days were administered particularly for respiratory conditions in the form of cod liver oil. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and a lot of people aren't aware of the fact that cod liver oil was given um, prior to the advent of of more modern medications to address quite serious respiratory problems affecting the lung. Ooh, uh, and okay. so, again, I'm a great fan of vitamin A, and particularly in its crude form, as cod liver oil. So, mate, you're doing everything right. You should, <laughs> you should breathe through. You can come and sit next to me on this program yeah. if you like. So well done. Well do done. Oh, and, and we'll send it to the studio and we'll, we'll yes, all share it. send it here. We'll just make sure it's all right before dinner's all right. gets... Thank you very much. Yeah. You've been a really great help. Thanks, Dennis. Thank you, Paul. And all the best, Paul. Yeah, Thanks yeah. for your call. Um, yes, well, uh, chili. Chili. You love chili. your chili, do don't you, Do you want to have a competition, Dennis? do you? you want I, a competition? I don't want to have a competition. Uh, I like my chili. Sometimes I like it better than others. Okay, it's a bit like eating... Okay. Stronger and stronger curries. Okay. I think you build up, I won't say immunity, but you build up the ability yeah, to yeah. appreciate it. Well, I boast that I can now eat the hottest chilli that is available in Australia. I won't say I can eat many of them, but I have challenged myself and was able to uh, to put away one of them. So chilli is a, a very important uh, preparation not only as part of our diet and part of our food, um, but, oh, look, it is, scientifically it's known as being a very significant medicinal substance. I might just intrigue listeners by saying uh, there was a gentleman called Samuel Thompson. He was an American frontiersman who uh, 
lived in in the U.S. at the end of the 17th century. Uh, not a lot of medicine available in, in the American frontier there. And he mm-hmm. did a lot of study and uh, took up a lot of ideas of the American Red Indians. And a lot of what we practice in Western herbal medicine today is really based on the work of Samuel Thompson. Now, Thompson developed a lot of preparations, but one of the most important preparations he developed was a powdered preparation known as the composition powder. Uh, I know it sounds a bit weird, but the composition powder is essentially a blend of pungent herbs, of which the primary one is cayenne. And uh, my dear wife Ruth and myself will frequently lace our food with the composition powder, which contains cayenne. But it gets even better than this. It gets even better than this. <laughs> I, I have a paper which I've frequently given out um, to, uh, to to my students over the years. And it came as a, an article in a journal called Modern Health. And the article was simply called Hot uh, in, in big letters. <laughs> and it was uh, written by a medical practitioner who uh, was working for the World Health Organization. And he was intrigued by the fact that in Asia at that time, this is going back now probably 20, 25 years, uh, when his observation was that in Asia, Japan, and China and other Asian countries, there was a disproportionately large percentage of people who smoked. And yet it was his observation that this didn't correlate into a lot of the bronchial and the respiratory disorders that we in the West experience. So he tried to find out what could be protective. Now, this mustn't be interpreted, listeners, as supporting smoking. All I'm saying here was that he developed the the hypothesis that what it was was the very strong, uh, pungent basis of the diet and particularly the presence of chilli or capsicum. And he used the term that capsicum was a mucolytic substance and it was, uh, what do you say, uh, muco, or mucotropic, mucotropic. So it had, if you like, a supportive effect, mucotropic, and it had a resolving effect on mucus in the lung, which he said put together explained why the lungs of people in that country uh, were doing a bit better in as much that, in his opinion, there wasn't as much respiratory disease. So what am I saying? I'm saying that cayenne has a reputation um, for resisting, if you like, a lot of the damage to the respiratory system that pollution from any source can potentially have. Ah, but it gets better. It gets better. <laughs> of course. <laughs> We're chopping up the chilies even <laughs> as we speak. It even gets better. Years ago, my dear wife and myself used to go to Sydney once a week to to do a program with a well-known uh, 2GB um, a programmer, announcer, whatever you call them. And we used to go down at about oh, 11, 12 o'clock at night when the city was all no one there and we'd manage to get into the studio by saying the right passwords and we'd do a talkback program. Now, the talkback program lasted for about two hours and went all over Australia and the presenter assured us that it was the most listened-to program in Australia and I began to realise that half Australia is awake at 12 o'clock and 2 o'clock. Anyway, I remember getting a call from a chap from uh, Tasmania. We got calls from everywhere. 
And he said, Mr. Stewart, he said, I live in Tasmania. And he said, it's cold down here. He said, but in wintertime, he said, it's a nightmare. He says, my feet are like blocks of ice. I said, do you wear, you know, do you wear good socks? And I do all that. He said, but they're still freezing. He said, what do you recommend? I said, oh, look, I said, it's a long shot. I said, but go to your pharmacy. I knew the pharmacy down there in, in Hobart. I know it will, actually. It was a homeopathic pharmacy years ago. I said, go there and get some capsules or any other form of, of chilli or capsicum. And there's a bit of a pause. Oh, he was from Hobart, you know. Not a lot, not a lot of, anyway, of chilies. Yeah. So, anyway, that was the end of it. And about two months later, I got a call from this guy, and he thought I was the next best thing to slice bread because for the for the first time, he said his feet were warm. So if we think ginger is a very useful circulatory stimulant, cayenne goes a lot better than that. It's remarkable. So for people that experience things like chillblains, poor wintertime circulation, if you can, if you can, try some chilli capsules. They they won't knock you about too much and you'll get used to them and there'll be a warmth about you that will give you that nice red rosy face. So there's a bit more about about capsicum. And uh, finally, of course, finally, and uh, chemists and others would know this, Capsicum contains what's called an oleoresin, and that allows it to be made into a topical preparation which aborts neurological pain. So one of the most important preparations in our pharmacies for coping with what's called post-hepatic neuralgia, wretched condition to treat, is a preparation, a cream, containing the oleoresin of capsicum, which will give good results in many cases. Karen has rung in from Soldier's Point. Karen, you've got a question about echinacea and other problems. Oh, yeah. Hello. Hello, Mm -hmm. Karen. Yeah, I just want to know, is echinacea safe to take when you have high blood pressure? Look, I'm not aware in uh, in my 40 years of prescribing uh, echinacea that uh, it has ever compromised a person's blood pressure. Um, I'm not aware of there being anything in the literature that indicates that it can do that. Having said that, having said that, uh, there's always what we call the possibility of an idiopathic reaction, um, the taking of a herb which in the majority of cases is innocuous or, or, or can't do anything. Occasionally you will find someone who takes it, there will be a reaction, but I would be very, very surprised if it had any impact at all on hypertension. So. Um, what I suggest you do if you're wanting uh, to try it, uh, do you have bad winter times? Do you? Uh, yeah, I'm asthmatic, and I, yeah. I start to take it for you know to protect myself against flu and stuff. Okay. Well, look, and just, I mm, have just, been taking it for years on and off, but okay. recently I had trouble with blood pressure. And I thought oh, I better find out. Well, I come back to the point that I'm not aware of anything uh, in in the literature that I use. There may be something. In, in more modern literature, but I come back to the point that I've never had a patient who has presented who has said that subsequent to taking or being prescribed echinacea that her blood pressure was elevated. Do you monitor your own blood pressure? Oh, I have been recently. Yes. Um, uh, like this is a recent thing, and yes. it did go up dramatically recently, and yes. I thought, oh, I'll just try and narrow down what's going on. Yes. Now, you're keeping in contact with your GP about your... Your blood pressure, are you? Yeah. And any elevation of blood pressure uh, must not be sought to be managed uh, outside 
of your GP's expertise. So um, if you've got that under control, well and good. The, the thing that you might find worthwhile is to uh, go off the echinacea for a while, say a couple of weeks, maintain what your doctor has prescribed for your blood pressure, and then introduce echinacea and see if over a day or two there is any alteration in your blood pressure. Yeah, that's an idea. Do that. But look, work with your, work with your GP on this. But I come back to the point that I have never had any problems with it. That's not to say that there hasn't been. Um, I, what I will do when I will get back to my rooms this morning, I will look at some of the... I'll look at Mosby's book, which is very good for drug interactions. And um, if you stay on the line, um, the lady at the switchboard will get your telephone number. And if I find anything that... Uh, uh, contradicts what I've said, which I doubt, I will immediately give you a ring. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Thank yeah. you. Thank Thanks you, Karen. Thanks for your call, Karen. And uh, we, are, uh, we are still on a call. What about Janita's call? Uh, Janita rang, rang up a little while ago yeah. and asked about echinacea because it does sound good. She yeah, rang from yeah, Osset Park. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but some people can't take echinacea. Correct, correct. Uh, and look, uh, I might just mention here that some people can't take it belong, because echinacea belongs to what's called the Asteraceae family of plants, which used to be called the Compositi family. And uh, it has some constituents in it which are potentially allergenic for people that are very sensitive. I needed to say that. Um, and echinacea is a North American herb. It's very frequently prescribed... Um, uh, with the American herb Hydrastis canadensis, which is botanically known as golden seal. Uh, many, many Western herbalists, including myself, would combine echinacea uh, with golden seal uh, to get an enhanced immune-supportive effect. But golden seal on its own is a very useful uh, immune system supportive agent, uh, so I'd, I would recommend that. As, as an option to your taking echinacea. Thanks, Dennis. That's great. Now, David has rung in from Dora Creek. Now, David, you have a, an interesting remedy to help you sleep. Would you like to tell us about it? Yeah, Stuart. Hello, Stuart. Hello, David. I heard from a mate in Townsville that if you put an onion on both sides of your bed, yeah. it'll clear the air and get all the bugs out of you and like, all this sort of stuff. Because I've... I suffer from a bacteria and a fungus on my lungs, yes, right? Yes. And I'm under a doctor for that, of course. Good. You know, Good. And uh, and I've got a bit of a cold now. Actually. Yes. So do you reckon if you put an onion on both sides of your bed at night time, it'll help uh, get rid of all the bugs and all that sort of stuff? Okay. Well, I'll be quick. I'll be quick here, and uh, I'll be quick here and say that. Uh, my dear wife and myself raised our four children in a very small house in Gosford before it dramatically enlarged. And our kids, when they got a cold or an infection, my wife would do two things. She would make an onion syrup, and that would mean just slicing a very hot onion and putting it in a bowl, sprinkling sugar over it and leaving it for a couple of hours, at the end of which you'd have a syrup. So she'd make that syrup but with half of the onion that was left over, she would put it in the kids' room, um, on a table or anywhere, and uh, you knew the next morning that something had happened because the onion was all shriveled up and discoloured, and 
I, I don't think it's too far to suggest that the microscopic movement of some of the aromatic oils in onion might contribute towards a more sanitising effect in a sick room. Certainly, I think I can speak for my dear wife and say she would concur with that, but also don't overlook the benefit of onion syrup as a remarkable and underrated domestic syrup, which also has some benefits on respiratory infection. I think you could be on the money. That sounds really good, a great point to bring up, David. Thanks for that. We're getting very close to the end, just about half a minute left, Dennis. So, um, well, there's one spice. Turmeric. We haven't covered. Jane, you and I have spoken so much about turmeric over the years that uh, the listeners should be able to repeat everything. But, and uh, it might have to wait. <laughs> the in-depth look at it might have to I wait for another day. We'll do that on another occasion because it's a remarkable substance. I can talk all day about even recent cases in my room this week of people that have experienced incredible benefits, not just with joint disease but more problematical conditions. And that is Health Naturally for today. And thank you, Dennis Stewart. Thank you, Jane. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.